Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. NYC Crit Club is a radical alternative art program offering critique, community, and connection for artists post-BFA and post-MFA. The NYC Crit Club, founded and directed by Hilary Doyle and Catherine Haggerty, is proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and work-study rates for artists in financial need. Fall 2021, the Crit Club will be continuing with the Zoom courses that since 2020 have allowed them to connect with artists around the United States and across the world, while also returning to in-person courses at their new space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Fall 2021 features a wide range of courses focusing on advanced critique, with five sections of the Visiting Critic program and a newly designed Art Career Intensive course. NYC Crit has added new courses in Art History, Writing, Photography, The Theory and History of Drawing, Color Theory, and Queer Art History. Faculty Yevgenia Baras and Padma Rajendran will each be leading their own uniquely designed material intensives. Fall 2021 course information is now up on their website and enrollment for those courses begins August 4th. Courses often fill in the first week, so early registration is highly encouraged. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. I'm working on my upcoming solo show at Miles McHenry Gallery in March, and everything is happening through Golden Paint. From the gesso, the mediums, and the paint, Golden's the best you can get. The pigments are amazing, and nothing lives up to Golden. An employee-owned company based in upstate New York. Check out their stuff at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. You know what else is making it happen in a studio? Fulcrum Coffee. Since Fulcrum has started me on their subscription coffee program, I've been trying new coffee each week, and there hasn't been a dud so far. Really great coffee with distinct differences in each roast. It's some of the best coffee I've had. And trust me, I've had a lot. The next time you're looking for coffee, check out Seattle-based Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. You can find out more and get their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners get a 20% discount on their order with the code Alfred Studio when purchasing their coffee. Sun Yu is a soul-born New York-based artist. She's exhibited her work in galleries and museums internationally. Recent exhibitions include Geary in New York, The Pit in California, Stepsister in New York, The Queen's Museum in New York, The Hangarum Art Museum in Seoul, Scotty Enterprise in Berlin, VCU in Virginia, and The Suburban in Illinois. Sun was an artist-in-residence at Hunter College, Ace Hotel, Marble House Project, Atlantic Center for the Arts, and the Sharp and Walenta Studio Program. She was also selected as Artist Watch in 2016 by Wide Walls and 18 Artist Watch by Modern Painters in 2015 and a recipient of an AHL grant, Korea Art Foundation, in 2018. Sun is currently teaching as a visiting professor at the University of Oregon. Her artist book, Please Enjoy, with small editions, was acquired by the Whitney Library, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, Yale University, and the New York Public Library. Sun heads President Clinton Projects, a curatorial project, and co-runs a non-profit gallery, Tiger Strikes Asteroid, in New York. 
She is also a co-founder and core member of An Other New York, a collective of Asian and Asian American visual artists, writers, and curators. I spoke to Sun about white noise, the value of schools, Korean culture, working horizontally, and much more. Here's our conversation. Well, actually, there would be something to be said for someone who's just like only silence. Like it would be very monastic. I think. Well, so I think what I'm recognizing, at least, that I I sort of um, have this level of energy that built into who I am, and I think that often if I overuse the allowance of the sound in my life, I'm very sound sensitive. So I think that the idea of like constantly listening, especially music, because it sort of carries certain kind of emotions, that it actually tires me out and I lose focus. So especially in a studio, um, I, ever, I don't ever listen to music. But even daily lives, I don't have any phone in my, you know, I don't have any apps or, or music that I listen. And when I said passive, meaning that I listen whoever people that I am close to. So I'm very much influenced right. by uh, friends, ex-boyfriends, husband, um, or movie soundtracks and stuff like that. But I'm not an active, you know, listener in that sense. That makes sense, though, given the conditions, because it, there's probably like two kinds of people in the world. Those who um, take in like content or substance or whatever, and it fuels them, mm-hmm. and those who it fatigues them. Yeah. And especially... So that... Is, is it be, do you think you have more analytic mind to where you can't just passively listen to it, where you actually become like it, it's tiring in a way because you really engage with it and it takes a lot of mental energy? Yes, that's definitely the case. Like, like I said, I always been very sensitive. Like I carry a white nose machine at, whenever I travel because it actually bothers any sort of, you know, sound. It takes up right there my, you. yeah energy right there. I love white noise. I do too. I do too. Uh, Did you grow up in an environment where there was, where, where it wasn't silent? I was born and raised in Seoul and I'm now living in New York City. So it's probably to the most noisiest place you, well, I can think of, obviously. Yeah. So it takes up a lot of energy from my end, but also, um, Emotion, like especially music sort of carries a certain kind of emotion that affects um, that I feel like either I really have to focus. Like I am one of those person that I cannot drink and walk at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like you, like yeah. I have to stop to drink water, like a bottle of water. Like I can't like walk and drink. So yeah, I think that makes me more sensitive than, than average people, I guess. I do. Are you not? Um, by de facto, are you not a multitasker? Hmm. Do you feel like you lose focus if you're doing more than one thing and you're not really doing it the right way that you want to? Uh, I'm thinking just because I do actually do wear lots of hat. You know, um, I'm an artist, curator, educator, uh, wife and cook. Um but I think, you, I think you're right. I, I think I tend to sort of focus one thing at a time. I do listen podcasts a lot. Like, 
I think the language is not as bad as the music. I think that music sort of carries a lot of emotion that's not necessarily my emotion, especially in a studio, that I don't want to be affected by it. Um, so I, could, I can listen people talking, but not necessarily a background music. Uh, even when I listen people talk, I can go in and out of it. I don't necessarily um, focus and focus, but at the same time, you know, my first language being Korean, that it takes more energy for me to uh, listen English, obviously. So when I'm tired, uh, not my ability to understand or comprehend or communicate drops. So I'm very aware of that. I'm going to guess... So you were born in Korea? I was born in Korea, raised till I was 17 there. 17? Yep. I was going to guess maybe 9 to 12 when you came. That's very sweet of you to say that. No. Um, I mean, you you have very, very little... Because you know the whole time to accent thing, right? I was told like 4 to 5, no accent. And then after that, right. my brother came when he was 14. Um he, and he has an accent, but his Korean is not as good as in English. So, yeah, 17. And then I also went back to Korea after grad school for a few years and traveled, um, like backpacked 13 months and came that back. Fun. It was, it was. Um, yeah. I really want to go. It's like my next spot that I really have a desire to go to. Are you talking about Korea or backpacking? Korea. No, I've done the backpacking. I'm, that Korea sans the backpacking. I've done the whole driving across the country, camping, backpacking yeah. thing. I think I've my comfort level in life is is gone. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm over that. But no, to to Korea. I'm actually a little offended by now that because you you go to Japan so many times, or I thought right. you show and you travel Japan, and it's like a two hour from Japan to. Korea and you never been? But that's the thing that's like every time I go to Japan I'm going to Japan and I want to I don't get the the amount of time that I want so when I when you go all the way over there you just kind of condense it yeah. to to seeing family and friends and being over there you know so I I kind of I don't know I, I get it like <laughs> no, it's no, very I was, close I, was only I should <laughs> It's just I'm messing with you. I'm I'm kidding, of course. I, no, I I would really want, but I I think my appreciation of Korean culture has definitely been magnified in the last few years by K-pop. I and well, we have like uh, Rakuten Wiki. We have like a TV. We don't have TV. We only have like apps. Okay, and we only have a few, but we watch an unbelievable amount of Korean television. To where I feel like I should be conversational. <laughs> wow. What do you, so like, what kind of, are you watching like Korean soap operas or movies what, or, or more, entertainment well, shows? Personally, more variety. Okay. And, and stuff like that. But, but my wife is a drama person. Interesting. And my son likes the, he likes it all. So it's kind of like an amalgam, but it's just on all the time. I, you know, I'm happy to hear because even um, some of my friends who's Korean-American, born and raised here, um, not speaking the language and not much of interest in a Korean culture, when, you know, they became parents now and they recognize a lot of their kids has much more 
appreciation for Korean culture. And I think it's a reflection of how much Korean culture and movies and, and uh, music's got so popular and, and more mainstream kind of thing in America. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's sort of, there's no uh, sense of embarrassment or shame that I think my, my friends had when they were growing up, middle of nowhere or, right. you know, place in New Jersey or I don't know. So I listen. It's good to when hear. When you have the number one movie, like the top best picture and the top song in the world, I mean, you're you're getting out. You know what I mean? That culture is getting out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's a huge positive shift in a way, and just a sort of ability for the global community to be much more interested in other cultures and other forms of cultural expression, which I think 50 years ago. It was like, I don't understand that. You right. know what I mean? Now it's just like everything all the time. It's pretty great. Right. Like you, you just have so much at your, you know, fingertips as far as like culture and, and that's the internet, you know, the internet. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good. It's bad. There's some good parts and then, you know, you got to deal with the bad parts. too. Yes. I do think that it's much more complicated, at least from a Korean side, meaning that, you know, I am very fond and proud of Korean cinema for sure. Um, but I think there has been a lots of like fundings and supports coming from Korean government for 20 years and 30 years to make that happen. And I think that kind of attitude, it can be problematic, meaning that they now taste the success of like, oh yeah, we pour into a money and uh, whatever the support for 30 years now, you know, we, we could place our Korean cinema and a world cinema. Same thing for K-pop. But I think sometimes they try to extend it to more complicated areas like poetry, literature, fine arts, you know, that sense of like competitive sports, like art as a competitive sports is there. Like, you know, we were training you, we're giving you money, therefore you're sort of like competing in a global world with a national pride in the background which I you know it can be a problem like I see a lots of um, incoming Korean students and Chinese students in art schools especially in New York you know I think yeah. they're going over 40 to 50 percent these days and and yet when you look at how many um, artists actively showing or has a representation or representation from a commercial galleries or institution supports not that many. So then people get so confused, like they're trying to sort of come up with a better create this kind of world famous artists or again writers, but it the formula doesn't really um, work like music and cinema for some some yeah. somehow some reason you mean specifically in art yes well i don't know if you agree with this but i feel like art generally is just like one of the last people to the party just in whenever it comes to anything it's just like a little slower than everything else in a way like any changes or or whatever it is it's just like like I'll give you a good anecdote. Like early in the two thousand, really early in the two thousands, when I was showing my gallery, 
I, I might have mentioned something to the fact that like, oh, you might want to get a website. Like, I think this is going to be something that's important. And they were like, website? We're not spending money. No way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, why do we need that? A little slow to the party. Yeah. And also, I think, it, again, it's much more complicated in terms of measuring the success, right? Like a music, I don't know, if you, person who doesn't know anything about music, you know, if you put 120 hours of dance time, like you will get decent a week, a day or whatever, there's a, a little more concrete way to get to a place. Yeah. Um, cinema, if you put in, you know, 30 million instead of 3 million, maybe eventually get better. But art, it's just, it's very different way to maneuver things and get to the place. Yeah, and, and what is success? Exactly. In the art world too. Exactly. I mean, like if you can make work and make and get by, you know what I'm saying? I think that's kind of success. Yeah. Like as long as you're able to stay in it and, and do things, that's successful. Because the metric of like, you know, Jeff Koons or, you know, like that sort of thing of like making tons of money and being all, I mean, that's just not even, I don't even know is that if that's a metric that we need to hold to at all. I mean, I, you know, I... Success is such a tricky word in fine art context, right? I, you know, I'm not going to name name, but I, I do have older friends who is everything that I am, you know, aspire to be, meaning great artists, their works were acquired by all the major museums like MoMA uh, um, or Whitney, and um, there were one point, you know, head of the art department in a... a prestigious college, it's like you name it, everything, and work with the major galleries at the age of 28 or 30, whatever, and still, like, when I am telling my young students their names, they're like, they don't know who they are, so I think, right. yeah, I, I don't know. Well, that's fame, though. I, I, who I mean, if you're getting into art to be famous, it's a wrong, you're picking the wrong thing, you know what I mean, because you could be the most famous artist in the world and walk down the street and almost no one's going to know yeah. who you are. Which actually is kind of great yeah. these days to actually be successful. You could hypothetically be very successful at what you do and make a good living and like have accolades and no one's like trying to take your picture or worried about your face or who you are or whatever. It's kind of nice. Yeah. I'm not even saying they're making a lot of money actually. So Just the prestige of it. Like I'm in this collection or I'm thought of yeah. as an important artist. But I do, yeah. I, you know, I... Um, I went to State University, but someone like you or a lot of our friends here in New York went to a certain, one of the best schools. I think that their education is taught in a way that you have to emulate your career in a certain way, which is, I think, sense of fame or sense of success or the competition is much more direct than someone like me, meaning like, you know, let's say you went to school in Columbia, uh, yeah, or or yeah, or one of the better schools, then your sense of like success is much more clear, meaning that someone that you went to school with is on art form reviews, or you know, versus to me, like is someone actually still making work? Like there's a less sort of looser way of measuring what I do versus, uh, yeah, people who went to a better schools, I think that, 
I, I sometimes feel like I understand their sense of anxiety, why they have a more than me. Um, of course, we also, I mean, I wire differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the school thing is interesting because, like, I, I feel like it's given more weight than it deserves. You know what I mean? I think there's a real value in, you know, building a community and having a serious community that you're, you know, when you're in an educational environment that you're around and there's an intensity to that. But there, in any school, there are students who go on to do well mm-hmm. or who are motivated, and there's those that you never hear of because they just, you know tap out or something and so I think it depends on the student ultimately like for me Skowhegan was way more of a thing and more important to me as far as my art career and life than graduate school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those people I talk to more there's more of a connection there's more it it just did different things for me yeah you know and um, I, I think that schools are over. I always say, too, I was joking around with a friend, like, you could say, like, you could go, I went to Columbia. Like, are people actually going to ask for your diploma? <laughs> like, does it, like, the name doesn't do anything necessarily, because you could just say you do that. It's the people you meet, it's the connections you make, it's the, what you, the experience, really, you know? And, and you can get that. I've There's plenty of people who go to, quote, unquote, smaller schools or, like, not the quote unquote top schools, which is, you know, and, and they do well and they're motivated and they meet people and they go out and they, they try hard and, you know, it's not a given, but I, I think it can happen either way. Yeah. I think the school thing is slightly overbaked. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Easy for me to say, I guess. I do. It's not like I'm hanging out at the Yale club talking to Yale people all the time. Yeah. I talk to way more. I don't. Do I talk to any? I don't think I do, really. Maybe two or three. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, again, this, nothing is simple these days, but it's complicated. You know, someone who been teaching foundation classes or undergrad students and the question of is grad school worth it? If you decide to go to grad school, like... What should be a priority? Like, you know, for, I think I'm still debating, like, if you're going to go, you should go to the best school. But then what are you going to do after you owe, like, so much money after school? Knowing that 90 whatever percentage of artists not going to make a living by selling art. So it, and I had this conversation with one of the school that I was teaching for past few years, um, happened to be a community college. And he was very firm on, like, I'm not going to, tell my student to, you know, go to Columbia. Like, I, I think it, that's, that's just wrong, he thinks. But for some, you know... Morally. <laughs> morally, financially morally. wrong. And, and I, you know, I'm still, again, like, I haven't really... I don't know yet. I don't know the answer. I do always, even whether I'm teaching a community college or, you know, one of the better... Um, schools that I, my thing is like I want to show my student the best and they get to decide but maybe I'm still maybe still I'm yeah maybe I'm still dreaming I don't know doesn't it depend on the student like because some people say like oh you shouldn't go to grad school it's a waste of money mm-hmm. and other people are like well if you're going to go to grad school go to the best and other people like go to a three-year program where you can get like a full assistantship and it's basically like free grad school. And 
I think there's cases for all those, but doesn't it depend on the student? Like, you know, a student who's motivated and who, if they go to a good grad school, like they're going to really feed off that. And then, you know, some other students that are just not ready for it and they would just go and get swallowed up or they would just not really, they would crumble under the pressure of it. You know what I mean? It would be too much. I feel like it depends. Yeah. It's not, there's not like one way to look at it. Like the path is this way. Isn't no, it's like the path is the way that the path should be for each person, yeah, depending on that person. I agree, and you know, like if I ever get a student who's like, Well, do should I move to New York or LA? or and like if you're going into it with that attitude, it's like, No, don't do it because it's not easy and you're just gonna be miserable or get swallowed up. So, you know, I feel like you can kind of tell what what person has what their personality is and where they should go or do, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think mostly I agree, but also, um, you know, informations that you received, um, sometimes that seem very basic, doesn't get talked about um, in other schools. Like for me, even applying for residency, you know, you mentioned how one of your residency was much better um, program that you participate than your grad school programs. But just the fact that, you know, I didn't even know that that's something you can do till I was, I don't know, 30. Like that, that's just how, yeah. yeah so who do I, who, who am I blaming? Is this like all my agency that I was either <laughs> lazy person, not get involved and not getting the information, not recognizing there was a such thing, or was that like teachers giving me a certain kind of information thinking you know i don't know well i'm not i don't want to date you but i think that and i i honestly don't know exactly how old you are but i think things are different now than they were like 15 or 20 years ago as far as like you know knowing options and information but also you know i've said it like a bunch of times i didn't know anything like (laughs) i had one or two teachers who were like yeah you should apply to these three places and that was my you know my advisor on <laughs> totally well so, and so i was like okay i'll do that i guess nothing else to do well that actually that's a funny story because it's the reason why i went to the small art private school in detroit uh, was because my teacher in high school thought that school was much better than sva like i got both you know, full scholarship, and he was like, "Go Detroit, not New York." And I, you know, someone who doesn't know anything, I was like, "Oh, you know, he sort of made my path." Um, you know, I'm here after whatever the long experience and time. And as you mentioned, maybe those are all need to be there for me to become who I am as a person and artist. And that's the only way, or at least, you know, that's all we 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 tell ourselves the story that right but um yeah funny thing is that that faculty could or you know your teacher could have applied there not gotten in held a grudge forever because of that is like screw that that is true and like as a student you're like oh yeah they must know yeah you know what i mean but also but your life is being like based on their like advice that's not necessarily geared towards you it's geared towards the way they feel about yeah like I said, that's a it, bad teacher. I think <laughs> it is complicated because again, like I would never even imagine, may, you know, study art without him. Like he was the one sort of put a seat on my head. Yeah. Like there's a such thing as you know painting that you can study. You know, get a BFA and like that. 
you know, someone who came at the age of 17, the funny thing about the immigration culture or, or coming with the parent, um, often that our role switches. You know, I'm only 17 and I'm with the mother, my father, but like our role switch because my, as bad as my English was that it was still better than my dad who came as an adult. So it's like I was not getting any sort of a American education through him, but I'm the one who's, you know, paying the bill, telling him like this person said means this, you know, like I am translating whatever things. So, the, so I'm a child, but I'm also adult at the same time. Like I'm the one who's yeah. doing a lot of, so it, it, I know for sure without that teacher, like I would never even imagine study arts or become an artist. But also he also, you know, sent me to supposedly a less known, I guess, than SVA. Son, you're doing pretty good. I mean, it, it didn't go does that, that bad. Does it sound like a complaint what I did? No, I, I didn't no. mean to. No, I mean, I mean, it's funny because I think that proves the point that if you're driven, if you're the type of person yeah. who's going to do that, you'll find a way. Yeah. No matter where you go to score, what you do, you know what I mean? No matter what the situation is. Like, if you're really motivated, you'll stick with it and you'll just keep going for it. And to be honest, even if you don't quote-unquote make it or like if it's difficult path... You're still happy because you're doing the thing you love, mm-hmm. even if it's really difficult, as opposed to just working a crap job that you hate and you're just miserable. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I wish I would have gone and done that. So, you know, what's, it's like, what's better, yeah. you know? I agree. I do, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that how sometimes we, we sort of talk about a lot of, that artists, someone who has an agency, like it's all sort of upon us, like that if we're, smart enough, if you're ambitious enough, if we're clear about what we want, then we'll, we'll get there. But sometimes the whole system, bigger than us, sometimes influence us in a way that it's not fair to just totally. to say to one person, you didn't make it because you're just not good enough or you're not ambitious enough or, you know, I just, yeah. But I'm, as you said, I'm happy where I am. <laughs> so well you could also I, I, I not to speak on your behalf but let me know if this seems accurate mm-hmm. you could also say in a way it's not fair to have to go move somewhere and basically be the leader in a way and be like okay i'm going to be the one now who's got to make these decisions or explain things it's a lot to be put yeah. on a young person you know what i mean but at the same time it probably made you a lot stronger a lot have a lot more conviction, decisiveness, um, and to cha- face challenges more head on and not back away because you had to, you know what I mean? So even though that was difficult or not fair, it was probably made you a much stronger and more kind of like, you know, like it probably built a certain amount of character that is valuable, although may- probably not easy. I'll take that. I think that sounds good. <laughs> You didn't sign up for it, but you'll take it. <laughs> On that positive note. <laughs> well, let's talk about you and your art, too. We're talking about all this art world stuff. Yeah. So, what, I mean, were you, as a young person, were you always into art? No. Um, so. Did you take music lessons? No. As a young kid? So, I'm thinking, I'm probably the only person that you know, someone from Korea, never learned piano or 
any sort of violin. Yeah, like a musical <laughs> instrument or the a private lesson. Um, growing up in Korea, I grew up actually poor with a single parent. So uh, I, yeah, I, art was not something that I thought about or that I was good at till I was 17 and 18. What was your thing growing up? Did you have a thing? I, you know, grew up in a... What were you into? So, um... Was it food? You mentioned you're a cook. I'm a cook in... But a cook who cooks from a heart, meaning I don't have a recipe. Um, That's the best kind. Thank you. Uh, But also very limited because I'm not venture out, you know, gathering the information or recipes or data, you know... um, Intuitive. Yes, it's very intuitive. That's how I also do art when I think about it now. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal. Um, so when I was growing up, my thing was church. Like I, Jesus. You're saying Jesus Christ was certain big time, for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a type. It's a, it's a very specific type <laughs> of Jesus. But yes, we, I grew up in a um, church that believed in Holy, you know, Holy Spirit, speaking tongue, whole, whole nine yards so that was very uh pentecost really yeah you grew up pentecostal yeah yeah that's something like a repenting and casting evils all that which i've always so, had a doubt like i've i knew whatever the teaching i'm receiving um i thought it was really really all that really happened like is this what you know and also i think that more than anything the the discouragement of um, doubt or question was considered yeah. really uh, weak, and that bad sign. Yeah, that didn't really sit with me well. So that 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 and the whole hell burning in hell thing still scares okay? me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, soon as I recognize, which is you know towards the um, undergrad, that that my emotional base was very much about guilt and fear. I knew that I had to get out of it. But again, like that, you know, I, even, even I, think, I think by the time I was senior and third year in college, I wasn't really going church regularly or on and off. But I still felt guilty about how the art was such a self-serving thing. You know, um, so I actually end up going to Kenya uh, with the missionary to sort of, with the better, I, I don't know, like novelty, helping other people, like see if there's anything I can do kind of idea. And then, of course, spending three months in Kenya um, working with the medical mission team, I recognized, no, nope, I need to go back and major and get my master's in painting. I, I, but yeah, uh, the guilt was pretty big emotion at the end, uh, I think, when I was in a church war. And I still oh, very much fearful about afterlife, like a, the unknown potential of oh, that missing out. The, you, you have that instilled within you, the fear of, of next? Yeah, I mean, it's not... 
it's really hard to shake off everything that dominate your life for 17 years or, you know, 18 yeah. years, first 20 years, I guess. Um, but I don't really believe in, I don't think I believe in afterlife, what church, you know, certain church teaches, like heavens and hell kind of thing. But I, I do, I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, I'm definitely, there are dates and nights I think about what happens, you know, after we die. Yeah, I think that's common for a lot of people, religiously or not religiously, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, of just like that kind of inquisitive wondering of what's next in a way. And, and someone like you who's a parent also, like you're sort of seeing the other end, like the beginning of the life and you're sort of raising, you know, life or child or something. I think that probably also gives a lots of like, I don't know, wonders and magics and sort of That's beyond us. very romantic. Oh, is it? I'm the mix. <laughs> <laughs> it fills me with exhaustion. You don't look tired at all, so I can give yeah. you that. That's the uh, I'm not a tired parent Zoom filter I put on this one. <laughs> it works, right? It works great. How refreshed I look. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, it does. It does bring some of those things into your mindset. Yeah. You know, it, it alters so much, actually. Um, but man, that's something else to be to grow up in Korea and you're basically in Kenya. I mean, that is a lot. To unpack my mother uh, before I said anything else I love her she's she's a wonderful um, mother and and um, intuitively very smart mother but she had a very rough life like she she had me when she was very young uh, so we practically grew up together and I think, and I don't think it's just her. I think her entire generation after Korean War, like people who were born in sixties and fifties, I think their the entire country was in poverty. So it, I think that there was a lots of missionary um, from America, actually. And I think that the the combination of good news, the gospel, and also the yeah. the reality of how the how devastation their life has been I think sort of mix it into a weird intensity um, and also Korean people tend to even you know if compared to Japanese they're sort of much more passionate so I think totally. they're very uh, geared towards to like believe in things and like there's a sense Maybe a little less robotic <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I like that's a joke, but <laughs> but if you look at K-pop, like K-pop is as a very superficial comp- comparison, it's so much more soulful and like expression. It's than like J-pop is. Like J-pop is a little more like veneer. It doesn't feel quite as like rooted and deep emotion. You know what I'm saying? It's there's a little more passion there. I think. Right. I mean, well, again, like I don't know music enough to um, say, but I think definitely, I think we were our emotion you know, on a sleeve than, than Japanese for sure. Um, yeah. And I think that, that sort of worked with a certain kind of Christianity, 70s and 80s. And now I think, it, yeah, I think it's actually more than a 50%. 
in Korea now. Yeah, like aligns to the sensibility more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That that temperament of the certain kind of national, the Korean nationality, but also the the sort of sad and and devastated uh, modern and contemporary history. I think those are the two sort of deadly combination. That's a, uh, okay. Well, so let's let's veer it back towards you and being a creative person. I know. I we talked <laughs> I talked about anything that I'm not an expert of. So whatever, you know, till this point, please consider it's my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, listen, I love talking about this kind of stuff with artists too because I feel like there's never really that much leeway for artists to talk about things outside of like so you used a lot of brown paint in this painting as uh, as a reason, <laughs> you know. I I like talking about this stuff, but every once in a while someone will say, "Hey, can you can you talk about the artwork before the 50th yeah, minute yeah. of the interview? <laughs> so I think I always have that in the back of my head. It's like, yeah, I definitely want to make sure I don't gloss over like your creative, like the act of finding painting. Because it sounds like art wasn't even, wasn't even on the radar until like late in the game for you. Yeah. And I think again, like that was also, I know we're supposed to talk about art. But I guess that's also... No, uh, we can talk about anything. I think that's now a- <laughs> I think back, like, not I wasn't aware of that, I think, but now I'm looking back thinking it was also very much about learning, like, running away from my family and my father, to be specific, I think, um, art-wise, or going to college or study art. Yeah. So that was sort of my way of really um, being independent, and even that, when I was studying painting, you know, undergrad and grad school, more conventional, like I did more conventional painting, um, meaning, you know, conventional medium. Um, also, it was sort of figurative and representational work I did. But it sounds like it wasn't an easy upbringing. And I think sometimes art can be an escape, right. whether it's, you know... A lot of times, like kids in elementary school or high school or whatever, they find art as this creative expression to where they can be themselves right. and kind of break away from the conventional school kids or the social groups or whatever. And then in family, you know, sometimes it can be a way to break away or embrace the creative spirit of their parents or whatever. But I mean, it sounds like, I guess for you, it happened a little later, but it was it was kind of that thing of where you, it was turning away from a lot of roads that you were already on maybe. I mean, you know, my husband actually said I am one of the most sort of stable person he know, even as an artist and a person. And I, so I, luckily I don't really remember much, especially my early on. So I don't think there is any like obvious trauma. Um, I was also very well loved by my mother. So, but also, but then, you know, my dad and I sort of have a more, uh, peculiar relationship for sure but I think that I'm recognizing more than ever that my art my work is very much about reclaiming a, a space f- for me to play like it, it, it's a recurrent sort of like making for the first time and being like a child like it, it's a playroom uh, so yeah, in that indirect way, it's very much about my past and who I am, I guess, at this point. 
we could also did you always know that or did you i mean did it come to you like you maybe you started trying to do it and you were like oh this is different and then you realize like oh i can make my own rules here or like i can explore and and be whimsical and and you it's not like you were thinking when i was a kid i didn't really i had a heavy time and i wasn't able to just freely like experiment or play or whatever and now i'm finding that but it it kind of subconsciously became alluring when you were exposed to it and you were like oh this is a place where i can you know do something different that's just feels like it scratched an itch that you had for a while that you didn't even maybe know it sounds like yeah so it's actually only very recent that i talk about and also often just in sort of unofficial way that i think my work is very much about reclaiming childhood you know i yeah. People talk about, I mean, I always knew that it's related to lack of home, meaning that, you know, literally I moved around a lot, uh, not just a different country, but different cities, even within a states that, you know, I lived in a different, I was in Ohio, um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, like it, whatever, and it was usually very often one year duration in that country. And I was in Germany for about seven months too. So it's like the having... It's a lot. It's a lot. And I remember when I, um, you know, built shelf for the first... It took me a a year for me to build a shelf in my apartment when I moved to New York because I was so ready to leave or pack and and move. Um, So I think that a lot of my reference to sort of house decorations or domestic labors or ornamentations and those things, I think I knew that was sort of related to not having a home so that it's not necessarily about collecting the memory, but sort of reinventing, um, you know, home kind of idea. Uh, But I, I think it was very reason sort of recognition that it is literally like I would like to have a fun, you know, and I literally using materials that's a very immediate, playful, has a strong reference to play um, along with the craft that came into a very, yeah, important materials in my work. Yeah, can I make a weird jump question here? As far as your studio space or your working space, do you have a specific interesting relationship to that space in regards to the fact that you've moved around so much as a young person? Like, do you feel like very protective that it's just one space and you want to keep it? Or do you never fully settle in and you're always kind of like ready to roll if you have to? Like, what's your relationship to your working space? I, you know, I, it's always very hard for me to, I've never been a place that, that I stay more than a one year or two years I moved around like I was lucky enough to have a residency that gave gave me a free space back to back for a couple years Um, I'm also constantly looking for an expensive space so I I don't really attach to a space but I think that my work when you look at it they're sort of all either modular or they you know can be assembled, disassembled. So there's the idea of packing and moving and carrying and um, light kind of things always, you know, either as an attitude or a scale um, or materials um, comes in a big 
big role, I think, in my work, for sure. So is that nomadic element to your existence comfortable to you? Or is it problematic? Or is it um, a strained comfort? Or, you know, like, how do you feel about that? I... I'm always curious when yeah. people move around a ton. It's like, are you just, do you want to keep moving because you're kind of used to it? Or you want to keep moving because you don't like the idea of being in one space for a long time? You know, is it like muscle memory or is it like willful, you know? I, you know, I just consider that as a fact, meaning that my income, you know, I'm only sometimes teaching four classes. Sometimes I'm teaching two classes. So based on my income, like, can I afford that $800 you know, studio versus like, do I now have to move to $400 studio, which I don't think is even exists in these days, you know? It's a phone booth <laughs> down in uh, East New York. I think that's that studio. <laughs> or timeshare, right? Like you have to right. share with the four different people. Like I'm only be there for Monday and Tuesday, three to six <laughs> o'clock. I have a studio Thursday from 12 to three. Totally. To visit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the only time. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I try not to take that as an emotional thing. It's not a muscle memory for sure. I don't really, um, I'm not interested in making my, whenever I move to a new space, I, my, my energy doesn't go like, I'm going to make this as my space. Like I don't do that. I, I start making work immediately right away without having my pictures or plans or, you know, or set of like, coffee makers, like I just, I do, I do it. I, whatever given space, I just take it. I don't judge it. I do best. And if I need to move, I move. But it's definitely, I, I'm at a point, we were lucky, my husband and I are lucky enough to buy, uh, uh, to buy um, a small one-bedroom co-op about five years ago. And I was so surprised how much of stability that gives to me. Like when I'm cleaning my corner of the living room, like the, the, the care and the emotional sort of, you know, investment I'm putting into, it's just much greater than I ever expected. Um, yeah. So I think there is a desire to have or own things um, as a mine. I, will, I wish I don't have to move. Speaking of a moving, I'm actually just accepted the visiting professor position at University of Oregon. So I'm actually moving again Whoa. <laughs> for about a year. Um, but You're going to commute? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually possible, meaning that, you know, um, it's a full-time, but it only teaches two classes and also yeah. three-quarter um, system. So it's 10-week instead of 15. So there's a month's break between the semester, which would have worked out great, but... I convinced my husband, Ethan, to come along um, just to, because we forever entertained the idea of like, what, what's the life like after New York or away from New York kind of idea. Um, so he's coming alone. But yes, so I'm once again moving for nine months. Jeez. And you, I mean, you maybe it was too good of an offer to refuse, but you're you're willing to move in a way, you know? But wait, are you just going to rent out your place or are you selling your place? We're renting out. Okay. So you're not yes. You're not dropping anchor yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm giving a shout. Anyone who's interested in renting a beautifully decorated one-bedroom <laughs> apartment in Queens, DM me. 
<laughs> Does it come with the Elise work up there? Oh, we have a lot of good art and furniture. So it's, if anyone really truly interested, please do contact me. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of this podcast, at least you might get a render. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. <laughs> um, well, that's exciting. That's mm-hmm. going to be a big shift. And then do you, will you get a studio out there? Yes. Where you teach? Yes. They're oh, man, you got it all figured out. You got it together. Um, it, you know, I, I always feel like, or I accept that anything, everything in life that we want, when we actually have it, that, that's a different than what I thought of, that what would that be like? That includes teaching too. You know, I did apply for a few schools and I was lucky enough to got accepted three different schools actually. Um, but when I got it, I got scared too. Like I'm leaving New York. Like I have to, I have a couple other projects and shows coming up. Like I, how am I going to do this away from New York? But I think I'm, I think I'm excited. I've always sort of considered um, teaching as an extension of empathy, that, that it's a good opportunity for me to get to do undergrad and grad school together. So I think it's a, ultimately, I am sharing it as a good news. That's great. I've had, uh, I've had teachers who I wouldn't describe as empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was younger, I think right after grad school or even... Um, few years after, I think I was much more tougher teacher for sure. I think it was very difficult for me to see how, because to me, art was so important. And yet I see all these kids like not taking it seriously. And it was so hard for me to, like, how do you not take this seriously? This is like the most beautiful, whatever thing you can do. And now I'm like, oh, no, we're all sort of suffering, you're suffering, I'm suffering, whether you're trying to find the best yellow right next to green, you know, or to find a best studio situation. Like we're all, I'm sort of here to extend my empathy and help you out however I can help out, which I think made me a better teacher. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I was definitely, you know, tough in the beginning mm-hmm. of like, you're not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. How are you ever gonna like achieve if you're just you know coming into the studio when the when the vibe is right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I I become much more um, empathetic. I think. Yeah. Although I don't know, I do I do think it's a balance. Yeah. You know, like there are the people who just don't show up the whole semester, and they were like, I just I was really. It was like a mental health semester for Aww. me. I was like, okay, that I get it, but you didn't work yeah. at all. So you're paying for school. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you I mean, kind of I, soldier through. To me, at the end, I know and I recognize I cannot save everybody. So No, yeah. No. Not everyone wants to be saved. That's true. That's the thing, too. Yeah. Not everyone wants, it's not the same path, you know? Yeah. And I, th- I made that mistake of always being like, well, you know, when, when I was a student, that whole deal. Mm-hmm. And it took me a little while to learn that that's not the right way to approach it. Yeah. I never did that thing where when I go in to give a critique, I bring my work into the critique or my mindset mm-hmm. about what I think. It's more about trying to understand what they're doing and how that works or maybe could be made stronger whatever you know seeing it from their side of it Mm -hmm. i never did that but i did used to do the thing of like well you should 
work hard like we did when we were in school, yeah. like my generation or something. So, you know, it took me a little to tweak that. And I also think, you know, um, this attitude, which was actually, I think it's a very problematic and wrong, is that I think it's also tied to my upbringing and cultural background and me being a woman that... I sort of take that as a rejection when students are not invested or committed to a class or a project. It, it, it felt personally rejected. Right. So that was something that I had to work really hard to like, no, you know, it's a different kind of relationship, the, the teacher and students thing. It's not, I'm not there to be a friend, you know, so it's a very difficult to sort of, uh, step away emotionally, but also be able to sort of uh, be available to them. I think that was a difficult yeah. for me at the beginning. It's getting better. Yeah, that's. I think these things that we're talking about are really the, the value of teaching, mm-hmm. like how it makes someone better or more empathetic or, or always learning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think if you're never in that environment, like if you're never teaching, you don't have kids... You, you can just get in an infinity loop in your own mind of like, you know, this is the way everything should be. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about other people. No. I mean, I was a megalomaniac before I had a kid. <laughs> That's why you do it, all these. Like, As cheap. if I'm not now. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I think it does make you a little less... Because as an artist, you do inherently... You're in a room all day with, you know, a blank canvas or a sculpture and you're just... Or whatever, and you're... You know, it's your ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the you show. It's about my creativity. Right. And, um, you know, when it, it can be a little self-serving. So whenever you, you know, something jettisons that, it can actually be a real positive. Yes. You know, as to make you ideally a slightly better human being and not so, you know, me, me, me. That's true. But I also think... There's a balance. Yes, it's a balance. I was actually going to say that I sometimes do bring, you know, who I am as an artist to the classroom. That includes me as a passionate creator. You know, I, I've been co-running this nonprofit gallery uh, for seven years, and we've been around for 10 years. We actually just got the Andy Warhol Foundation grant, um, TSA. Thank you. And I, I, I've been sort of having, whether that's a foundation drawing class or advanced painting class, um, have them do a curatorial project at the end of the semester. And that has been, I feel like they learned so much, you know, not only as a group, but like how to command the space is something you should, you should go beyond makers. Like you should recognize how your work um, is exist bigger than your studio um, by being a, you know, writers and art advocates and makers all together. So yeah. I do bring my interest as an artist to a classroom that way, but not on a critique settings. Right. No, I think it's great. Yeah, I did a one-off class about kind of like what you do when you get out of school because mm-hmm. no one ever taught me that. And the final project was curating a show and they had to mount it. They had to find a space, yes. do the graphic yeah. design, you know, do that. And it's so good. Yeah, right. Because we, we never, or at least I never got that in school. Yeah. It was always like, read you know Kant and you know and 
Benjamin Buchalo. Oh, you, you read all these articles and then, you know, you talk, you sit there while the teachers tell you how crappy your paintings are. And then they're like, all right, go get them. And then they shove you <laughs> off the sea. Yeah. Well, I. Good luck. Right. I'm not, I, you know, I'm still like not sure whether we, we'd be able to prepare them outside of. Can, can education can ever prepare student to be out outside of, or, or know how to be an artist? And know how to sustain their life as an artist after school, um, but yeah, I definitely feel like I didn't get any education um, yeah, about you, that. You can, but it's like sending off people in a boat to a hurricane <laughs> and not telling them like how to use a compass or have a have a life raft mm-hmm, or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're still sending them out to the storm, but at least you're telling them like, here's an umbrella. And if it gets really choppy, you know, put on your life vest yeah. or something. Or at least like something. there will be a storm after this. Right. <laughs> right. That would have been nice. That Is that too totally much to ask right, for? Right. I mean, I paid a lot of money. Couldn't I have not gotten that part of it? <laughs> well, turning to your work, um, your work, it's, it's really compelling because it's, it's hard to, it, it's, it's like a slow burn in a way. Like there's a lot there to sort of like, investigate and there's choices that I find so interesting in the work that really makes it it really enhances the image of just like why that you know like that kind of inquisitive and I guess that's a good question for you is like you know is it like what is the approach to the work in the sense of you know is it is it pure play like you were talking about before is the improvisation like a major part of it or do you plan certain things and like how how do you approach, do, is it all approached in a similar way or do you have like different approaches for different medium that you're using? You know, like what's, I guess it's a lot of questions. In one. <laughs> well, I, so I think anything in life, um, I'm going to just start it out as a very overarching thing and then so hopefully. You're so good at this. <laughs> Any art questions gets deflected into like general life. This is good. Okay. Uh, meaning that I think um, there's such a fine line between that self-acceptance that we have to have as a, a person, as an artist, but also um, that has to come with the self-rejection or self-doubt. Um, again, like if we're only doing things that it feels right and that works and celebrate our sensibility, then I think it becomes such a boring work. But if you also constantly just rejecting, is this right or is that wrong? Like, is this the right color or is this the right form or shape? Like, then you you ended up creating someone else's work. So I, I try to have those meaning that often my work is a very sort of intuitive and immediate. And I, I like those kind of materials, whether polymer clay, which is basically oven clay, oven-baked clay, or working with a, you know, magnets and gravity that sort of behave in a certain way that, that I like that embrace these two. You know, they're, when I make them, I don't really, I make them without judging them. So there's not, a lot of editing comes towards the end. So even though at the beginning it's a very sort of, you know, making it as a daily, you know, uh, image, image diary kind of thing, like depends on them, the emotion and mood that I felt, like that some days are very bright and sort of 
organic forms like poly, you know, uh, apple bombs kind of piece. And then some days are much more sort of dark and simpler and, uh, you know, Richard Serra kinds of shape comes in. So these are sort of a collection of the form and uh, gestures that I'm doing that has a certain look of the day. And then I carry them in the box to my studio. But I try, when I actually arrange those in my studio on a panel, often the polymer clay one at least, um, I try to introduce a system to really fuck my sensibility. Meaning that sometimes I put the best composition I can think of and then start taking every fifth object away. So that final look of it is combination of my intention versus certain kind of mathematic systems that's nothing to do with my sensibility. I don't know whether that gives you answers to a lots of questions you gave me. It does. Okay. It's, it's still has an air of mystery to it, uh-huh. which I like. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Meaning that even the, the, especially I work on a floor. You know, I think that it's a part of the reason I'm coming, I raise in a culture that floor is a, like we're floor oriented, the Korea is. I think these days younger people, they have a sofas and exactly same like a Western domestic settings, but when I was growing up, we literally study, eat, sleep on the floor. So like squat and bending over, it's, it's a second nature to me, and I work like that. So I work on the floor on a panel, so eat. the pictorial orientation is a byproduct um, that only, I only get to see it when I actually glue down everything. So Literally, there's a surprise element. I'm not looking at them on a wall. I'm looking right. over, looking down. So there are slight awkwardness or a place of doesn't quite formally make sense uh, that I think it's, that it's exciting for me. Do you ever pull one off the floor and put it up and you're like, No. It doesn't work this way. I do have stuff like that, but that I don't ever show. Like I sort of consider finished, but I, you know, I'm not sort. Of, there, yeah, there, there. I wouldn't call it many, but because usually I do have my studio. There is always pretty good. They're all like, I that was fun. I did great, and then of course the next day, going in with a silver mind, thinking like, what was that? But um, <laughs> I still. Try to embrace. Like I remember going to um, Donner Judd's, you know, is a uh, place in Marfa, and there was a one house that he <clears throat> not only he shows his sculpture, but he also showed his bad paintings. My my mind, it's a very bad paintings. I feel like it's not that he quit paintings, but painting quit him, kind of bad. Yeah. And I think I like the idea of like he include those bad work with his good work. There's a sense of like acceptance that was sort of humbling to me. So I do have bad ones and I sometimes don't show those. Sometimes I do trade with that or give away. 
donate. Those are great to see, though, aren't they? It's like kind of like uh, the uh, the outtakes mm-hmm. of like a record session. Like when, sorry, music reference. Um, I get that. <laughs> but you know, like there's this, I remember when I was in college, it was an old Beatles CD that it was like blues songs that they kind of did, but they weren't meant to be released. It was just like mess ups and they were jamming. But it was just really cool to hear that raw, unpolished, mm-hmm. just, you know, behind the scenes feel to it. It's funny too, I was going to ask you, like, I didn't really think about my work as being like American painting mm-hmm. or like looking American until I started showing abroad. Mm-hmm. And um, I was curious if you feel like there's elements of your work that feels Korean, but then work like that's a good example of like an actual process right. that's particular to that sensibility. Yeah, and I think there are pieces that it's now becoming more linguistic, like or that sort of has a faux like text look to it. So um, those are made from Korean alphabet, which is like, I forget, 24, 26. So it's a phonetic language. So by learning 24, 25 characters, you be able to put together sound. So I make those and then put it together in a way that break down the the actual, the the text side of it so that it becomes a shape and form. So those things sort of slowly coming into some of my work. Um, also, I think not having a title, I think it's related to me being a foreigner, meaning that I think I always find language is so inadequate. So It makes sense for an artist. Yeah. Well, language isn't it. really our thing. Yeah, I always tell students who you know, if they ever have like a, a an assignment to write an artist statement, I'm like, take it with a grain of salt because like if we were writers, we would be writing. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? We would write a book or an essay. Yeah. And you know, our strength is more visual. Yeah. Or or sometimes it's the unsaid too. Yeah. It can be compelling. Yeah. So I, so I again like going back to not having a title. I think related to it. Um, I also tend to have. So I don't have a title for each work, but I, I do, I try to have a very cheesy but sort of intimate title for the shows. Like when I had, I, I <laughs> like a little cheese. They're, they are cheesy. I mean, when you look at it, you know, some of my title, this one is for you, um, dear my friend, I mean, like a, a sort of head of the cheese letter or something. Like, especially um, my first commercial gallery show in Korea. Um, I was invited in some shows uh, in museums, but that was my, 2016 was my first solo commercial gallery show. And the title was, this one was for you, or this one is for you. And that you, as you know, my last name spells Y-O-U. So that was, that you is me, but also... uh, Seoul, the city that I was born and raised, like sort of my um, homecoming. Also, you was my mother who, you know, lived, she still lives there, um, who haven't seen my work in America. I think that, you know, that was sort of a big event for her. Um, So I tried to carry sort of a certain kind of, yeah, faux intimacy in my... uh, 
show titles, but not necessarily for my work. And I think that's related to, yeah, my background for sure. Yeah. Um, here's a tangent. Last meal, what would it be? I'm always debating whether my favorite food is Korean food or Japanese food. Like every time I go travel to Japan, I eat probably nine meals a day. Like I'm constantly eating. Why not? Right? <laughs> when in Rome. It totally, and we don't even gain weight, right? There's just it's a, such a strange, magical food. Um, I, well, you could have two. Yeah. Let's say it's your last two meals. I do like uh, one. So the, there's this summer dish called naengmyeon in Korean food, which is very seasonal, um, like sort of ice cold noodle. Um, that would be good. And really... Like so-men. Yeah. Have you had so-men? But the texture of the noodle is much, much chewier. Different. Like yeah. you almost have to fight with your teeth. So, the, um, I, you know, I like the yeah texture of it. I like the temperature of it. Um, I like this idea of combining drinking, because there's a broth, drinking and eating together kind of idea. Um, I also... I never got to do it, but every time I go to Japan, because um, it's, you know, whether... I never got to really try really, really fancy... Um, fancy, like, Kyoto, you know, omakase kind of thing. Like, I would love to... For the, my last meal, the most expensive, like, Japanese cuisine will be great, too. So like yeah. a cheap Korean noodle or fancy Japanese food. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on your budget on that day. Right. Hopefully the better. Um, all right. So do you, so when are you moving? Are you moving soon? Or are you doing things here before then? Or like, can, what do you want to share with people as far as? So I, I currently you? have three shows happening in a city. Um, and then I have another one coming up. That's going to be open the first week of August. It's a solo project with the Bank of Hope on the 32nd Street, um, working with the Korean Art Foundation. So I have to open that thing before I leave. Um, the first, I'm trying to get there by early September. So, um, and then I do uh, Untitled Miami with the Gary on November. So, like, that's the two immediate thing that I have to do. Art fair. Art fair, yeah. Throwback. Remember those? <laughs> I know. I can't believe it's They're happening. Back, yeah. <laughs> that's a good sign. That means art is, is coming back. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone before COVID was like, art fairs suck. This is like the death of what, seeing art and it's just a awful or whatever. You know, everyone complains about it. And now it's like, oh, art fairs are going back. <laughs> this is great. I guess it has you to know? be taken away in order for it to appreciate. I, I exactly. don't know. I feel like there are, if anything, there are definitely more possibility um, art as a commodity even through Instagram, yeah. I've seen people selling through Instagram. I just don't have much faith in art as a cultural value, whether we have a future and that, that, you know, that aspect. But, right. you know, it took me long to decide to come to New York. And New York was, 
everything what I imagine and more. And then I went to Germany for seven months for long-term residency, and I came back to, or I had to come back to New York, and that's the time the romantic of, all the romantic sense of what New York is about is gone because I experienced it. So it was much more sober idea of like what New York is about, um, which was much more stressful. Like I had a psoriasis for the first time. Um, my body was reacting it. But I still, you know, I, I know a lot of people left New York during the COVID. Um, I know for sure that my New York forever changed because a lot of my friends moved out. So my reference to New York forever changed. Uh, but I still like it. And I still find the reason to be here in New York as an artist. But I don't have any romantic idea like I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So. Yeah, no, it's, I have, I think a lot of us have that relationship who've been in New York. It's, you know, it's that kind of, you could leave, like if you left, there would be some great things about, you know, sort of downshifting in a way. And then, but then there's great things about it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, let's be honest, they have H Mart. <laughs> and were we really going to leave? <laughs> I know, right? Just like, am I leaving that? What, anyone if who I does go to know Ohio? What, yeah, H Mart. It's, it's, a, it's a super supermarket that carries Korean food and Asian grocery. It's just amazing. <laughs> And there's no reason to live anywhere not within a short drive to an H Mart, in my opinion. <laughs> agree, agree. So we'll put up with the bull crap as long as we have an H Mart. Totally. Right? That's the way I look at it. Some live music, H Mart, Mitsua, if I'm feeling adventurous, go over to Jersey. It's like, it's great. Museums, you know, and it's back. Everyone's out there, you know. I just got yelled at today by some crazy guy on the sidewalk. It's great. Right back at it. <laughs> it's like COVID never happened. It, it really is yeah. like COVID never happened, <laughs> to be honest. For all those podcasts that I would listen to where they're like, yeah, New York's changed forever. It's gone. It's never going to be. It's like, no, it's right back in the yeah. saddle. Yeah. From top to bottom, good to bad, it's all back. Well, listen, it was really nice to talk to you. Yes, it was great. And then um, anyone who's listened, sorry, we talk a lot without really talking about art much but i am actually we did, artist though. we did i feel that. like yeah. we we really without necessarily explicitly saying it we, like i have a much greater understanding of your work thank you just by hearing your story you know what i mean so now when i look at your work I, i'm gonna see it more informed i feel like even if it's not a literal one-to-one -one. you know what i mean yeah i i also think i mean hopefully this was more fun than you know, us talking about, I don't know, again, the specific colors or form or brand of the material that I'm using, so. Well, it's hard, too, because we're not in your studio and not in the show, mm -hmm. so, you know. But anyways, yeah, no, I was, it was, it was great for me, and really, um, as much as I joke that I'm, you know, I, it's just, it, it's fun for me, so I enjoyed it, and really, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that we enjoyed it yeah right? we had a great time uh no one's yeah yeah, yeah. it's great 
But um, but honestly, like, wait, so you're going to be moving, but you've got these shows coming up. And then uh, curatorially, is there anything oh, yes. that you want to put on people's radar as to what they should go check out and the other things you have and, and apply to school where you're going to be teaching, of course, so they can go learn from you, right? Um, yeah. Well, so I'm actually doing curatorial show, uh, project in September. So I don't know how it's going to happen just because school starts in 24 the week of 24th of September and my show opens in 24th, the curatorial project that I'm doing, putting together at TSA, which is the gallery that I co-run uh, in Bushwick. Um, so check that out. Uh, we currently have a, a VU, Boston University uh, MFA show, which is our first ever um, featuring the uh, grad students' work. Nice. Um, so yeah. Great. And then you're on social media. I am. Um, I uh, not that active, but I try to, uh, yeah, update in terms of it, at least shows and stuff. Uh, Sunyu seven two eight is my uh, Instagram handle. Can you hit everyone with the secret? Like your burner account where it's only your cooking? Do you have like the burner account with like Sun's cooking? No, but um, DM me. I might invite you for dinner, uh, home cooking at home. So I'll be over in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Well, it was very, very fun. Some coins.